that is who you are. You're our way maker, our miracle worker. You're the deliverer, the savior, the healer. Now clap your hands with me and let us exalt his name together. So worthy is the Lord to be praised. Hallelujah. He is our way maker. He's the way maker. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've liked that song since the first time I heard it. Because he is all of those things and much, much more. Have you found him to be a way maker in your own life? A healer, a deliverer, a way in the darkness? He's all of those things. And we give him glory and praise and honor. It's been a fabulous day. Both of the services this morning at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. were just seasoned by the word of the Lord and touched by the Holy Spirit. And I am so happy to see you back on a Sunday evening. And uh, this is a good-looking crowd that we have here for a Sunday evening. And uh, just look at somebody close to you and smile and say, I'm looking as good as I can. <laughs> oh, it is so, so good to see you. And so I want to say thanks again to Pastor Greg. It's always good to be with you and Donna and your family and to be here at the Nortonsville Church, a place that we have come to love through the years and have gotten really attached to the people. And I just feel like this is my home away from home, and it's always good to be back. So thank you for the invitation, and uh, thank you for being here on a Sunday evening. Uh, I didn't bring one of my books up here with me, but uh, most of you already are aware of this, that my new devotional entitled The Storyteller's Devotional is available. I have it on the table out in the foyer, and I'm very excited about uh, the opportunity to share 90 amazing stories with you that I believe will be a help to you. Um, someone told me just recently that they had bought a copy of the book and then gave it to a lady who was recently widowed. Her husband died three months ago. And then the lady that bought the book contacted me and said, the lady told me it was a lifesaver for her at this time in her life. So then the lady said, I know two other widows. I'm going to buy two books and give them to them. Maybe it will be an encouragement to them as well. So... I don't know what else I could hope for or wish for, that God is using the book in some way to encourage the lives of others. So perhaps you'd like a copy, or maybe you'd like to buy a copy for someone that's at a time of need in their life right now, and perhaps God could use me and you together as a team, and we could help encourage someone. So they're available right after the service. Stand with me, please, for this time, at this time for the reading of God's Word. We want to look at the story of Paul and Silas in the midnight prison. You're familiar with it, perhaps. Uh, Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 25, reads, And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. Can you say amen to the reading of God's word? You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. The title that I want to use for this evening is The Wonder of Worship. Let us pray. Father, thank you for every opportunity to minister the word of the Lord. I'm so excited about this opportunity tonight to stand before your people and to share the word of God. But I come with trepidation because I know I cannot do this in my own ability. But I rely upon the grace that you give that makes preaching effective. So teach us your word tonight and then transform us by the touch of your spirit. And may our level of worship be elevated to a higher level that we can glorify your name all the more 
revive your church, that in turn we can affect the community around us. We ask it in Christ's name. And everyone said amen. In just a moment, we're going to talk about Paul and Silas and their praise and worship toward God in the midnight prison in Philippi. But I want to begin with a story about Jacob and Brianna Eaton. If we'll show the first picture, this is a youth pastor named Jacob and his wife, Brianna Eaton. They're youth pastors to about 40 kids in a church of God in a place called Lynn, Alabama. In addition to being youth pastors, they are also singers and worshipers. And they had been invited on a Saturday to go to a ladies' conference. And Brianna was singing one of her favorite songs that night on the Saturday, Ain't No Grave Gonna Hold My Body Down. She didn't know that she would be dead within 24 hours and buried by the end of the next week. On the way home from that conference, they were in a hit-on collision. Jacob ended up in the trauma unit. He had two broken shins, a broken left arm, a broken pelvis, a collapsed lung, and he was living on a ventilator. A couple of days went by, and on Monday, he woke up from the operation, and the pastor went in to tell him the bad news that his wife didn't make it. She was also pregnant with their eight month, she was eight months pregnant with a daughter. Both his wife and, and daughter to be born died in the accident, and the pastor had to go in and tell him the news. Take it to the next slide, if you would, please. This is a picture of Jacob when he was in the hospital. His arm is still in the cast, but you'll notice his right hand is raised upward. His wife and unborn daughter died, but Jacob worshipped. When the pastor said to him, I have some bad news to tell you, Jacob says, you don't have to tell me. God already told me. He said, during the last day or so while I was unconscious, he said, I've already seen my wife and daughter in heaven. You don't have to tell me, pastor. God already told me. And with a hand up in the air, he's worshiping God in a most critical moment of his life. When I see this attitude in action, it reminds me of Paul and Silas who also worship God at a critical moment in their lives. And you know, we have learned something over this last year. Things don't always have to go easy for us to be worshipers of God. We've learned how to worship God when things go well and when things don't go so well. And I believe I'm speaking to a house full of worshipers tonight. And I want you to prove me right by clapping your hands and celebrating that Jesus is still Lord of Lords and King of Kings. Hallelujah. I want to talk about three benefits of worship. Now, obviously, worship glorifies God. That's what its worship is all about. It glorifies God, but there are three additional benefits. Let's look at benefit number one, and that is that worship has the power to influence other people. Notice what happens in this story with Paul and Silas in the prison at Philippi. At verse 25 and a part of verse 26, says Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And notice that the prisoners heard them. They were listening. And at verse 26, when the earthquake took place, all of the prison doors were open. For every prisoner and every prisoner's bands were loose. They were impacted by the worship of Paul and Silas. Just a few verses later at verse 30, the keeper of the prison, who we would call the jailer, was so impressed by their worship in the midnight hour 
He fell before them and says, Sirs, tell me, what do I need to do to be saved? And the jailer got saved, and all of his family got saved. All because of a couple of guys like Paul and Silas decided to praise God even in excruciating circumstances. Now think with me just for a moment what this was like. Paul really, a few days before this, had an intention to go over into Asia and to preach. But the Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to go there. Instead, I want you to go to Macedonia. So he went to Macedonia. And one of the first cities you would get to as you enter into Macedonia was one of their leading cities called Philippi. Philippi didn't have much of a Jewish congregation. If all you need was 10 men to have a synagogue. There was no synagogue in Philippi, which means they didn't even have 10 Jewish men in the whole city. It was a city that hadn't heard much of the gospel preached. They, not only the gospel of the New Testament, but they were not even familiar with the God of the Old Testament. They didn't even have 10 Jewish men for a synagogue in Philippi. So Paul and Silas went down to a riverside, and there was some prayer going on. Some ladies were meeting for prayer. Paul expounded unto them the New Testament gospel, and they believed and were baptized and got saved. You know, it feels good to be in God's will. People are getting saved already down at the river. After that, they saw a little girl running around by the marketplace that was demon-possessed, and Paul cast the demons out of her, and she was delivered. Well, now, if we were writing a minister's report to turn in at the end of the month, we've got some good things to put on the report. Families of folk had been saved down by the river. We baptized in water, and even a lady was delivered of demons. Well, right after that, things took a turn for the worse. They strip Paul and Silas of their clothes. They bring him down before the magistrates. They beat them with rods, put them in the prison, and in the worst part of the prison, which was an inner dungeon, and fastened their feet with stocks to the floor. It was painful. Now then, if I had been one of them, I would have questioned whether or not I was in the will of God or not. If I had been Silas, I would have looked over at Paul and said, Are you sure God told us to come to Philippi? Yes, folks had been saved and delivered, but here they are under great persecution and in a prison. They didn't complain. The scripture says they prayed and sang. I'm glad it includes the word sang praises. They didn't just sing something. They didn't leave us wondering what they were singing. We know what they were singing. They were singing praises unto God at a midnight hour, an excruciating pain with their backs bleeding, sitting in a puddle of blood, they were still singing praises. And their praises not only glorified God, it influenced the people around them. The prisoners weren't complaining. The prisoners weren't telling them to be quiet. The prisoners were listening to them as they were singing in worship. And when it was all over, the jailer fell down before them and says, I need what you guys have. Tell me, what do I need to do to be saved? And he and his family got saved and baptized right away. This tells me something about worship. It not only glorifies God, it has the influence, it has the, the, the possibility of influencing other people. You know, the Bible said it rains on the just and the unjust. Believers and unbelievers both get cancer. Believers and unbelievers both get COVID. Believers and unbelievers both are unemployed at times. It rains on the just and the unjust. Here's the difference. The believers still have a good attitude. The believers still worship. The believers still have a song in their heart. And when the unbelievers see that, they know there's a difference in our lives. Our worship toward God has the power to influence other people. 
No doubt, Paul later, when he wrote a letter to that church that had developed in Philippi, he says, don't worry about anything and just pray about everything. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He was telling them to do what he had done. He had peace in the midst of the difficulty. He worshiped God. It, influ- it even started the church. His worship actually started a church. You know, it's easy to complain. It's easy to complain. Do you know anybody that complains all the time? Don't be looking around in church. I'm just asking a question. Do you know anybody that just complains all the time? People complain about politics. They complain about the weather. They complain about the pandemic. Complain about the gas prices going up. Complain about certain food shortages. Complain about a closed business. Complain. It's easy to complain. Anybody can complain. But it takes a different attitude to be thankful even though things are not going your way. You say, well, what do I have to be thankful for? Well, if you didn't get COVID, you ought to be thankful for that. And if you did get COVID and survived it, you ought to be thankful for that. You're not in a hospital on a ventilator tonight. Can somebody say thank God? We still have a church. Church is open. We can come to church. We can thank God for that. You still got a job, don't you? You still got a home. You got a bed to sleep in tonight. Did you eat lunch this afternoon? Did you take a nap like I did? <laughs> we got plenty of things to be thankful for. We've got friends. We've got fellowship. I'm glad I can breathe. I'm glad I can smell. I'm glad I can taste. I got all kind of reasons to thank God. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad my sins are under the blood. I'm glad I'm on my way to heaven. I'm glad I'm spirit-filled. I'm glad I got a place to preach tonight. We got all kind of reasons to be thankful. Somebody shout hallelujah. It just depends on our attitude. Some people have the attitude, good morning, Lord, while other people have the attitude, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> It all depends on your choice. The story's told of an old man who had lost almost all of his sight. He couldn't hear, but he would still go to church on Sundays, and someone finally asked him, if you can't see and you can't hear, you're not getting much out of the worship service. Why do you even go to church? He said, I just want everybody to know whose side I'm on. Former general overseer Dennis McGuire was traveling in Korea at a particular time and he saw a pitiful looking man that was a leper. I don't know that I've ever seen a leper, but apparently this man was eaten up with leprosy. His entire left arm was missing. His right arm only extended from the shoulder down to the elbow and stopped right there. He was a homeless man. He lived on a piece of plywood about yay big that had four wheels or rollers underneath it and He would lay down in a fetal position on this little makeshift skateboard and all of his belongings were there with him, a can of soup and a blanket and just a few small items. The man had found an old tennis shoe somewhere and he would shove his right elbow down inside that tennis shoe and lean off of this plywood and put his elbow down on the pavement and move it like this and roll along on those four wheels. That's the way the man had to travel. And Dennis McGuire saw this man. His heart of compassion broke for this man. And then he heard this man singing a song. Even though it was in the Korean language, Dennis McGuire said, that's one of the old hymns of the church. I know that song. 
That man was singing, oh yes, oh yes, I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows through my veins. And I, who was wretched and poor, now can sing. Praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the king. Hey, if Paul and Silas can praise God at midnight, if a guy named Jacob in Alabama can praise God when he found out his wife just died, if a leper laying on a skateboard somewhere in Korea can still sing a song, we've got something we can praise God about. Glory to God. He's worthy of our praises. And Lord, we honor you tonight. And we glorify and exalt your name. That's what the scripture says. I will bless the Lord at all times. And his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Praise God. There's another benefit to worshiping God. Not only does God get glorified, not only do other people influence, but let's go to example number two, and that is that worship has the power to encourage you, encourage the worshiper. Now we're going to drop back into the Old Testament and look at David as an example of this. In 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6, David was greatly distressed. What was he upset about? For the people this was his 400 soldiers that were following him, spoke of stoning him. Why did they want to execute him? Because the soul of all the people was grieved. What were they grieved about? Every man for his sons and his daughters. They had been kidnapped by the Amalekites. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. This is the time before David was king, but he had a small band of about 400 soldiers that followed him around. They were living in a place called Ziklag at the time, and they would make certain raids and skirmishes and come back with silver and gold and feed their families and so forth. And when they were coming back from a victorious battle, they were ready to celebrate when they get home. I'm sure these husbands coming home was going to share these gold and silver and garments with their wives and family and had they had a reason to celebrate. But when they approached the city of Ziklag where they lived, the whole city was up in smoke. The enemy called the Amalekites sneaked into the city, kidnapped every wife, every son, every daughter, and burned all the houses. No wonder David's men felt like stoning him. They, they were blaming him. This is all your fault. They were ready to execute David. They were all grieving. The Bible said they wept until they had no more power to weep. They ran out of tears. No wonder the Bible says they were greatly distressed. How did David get out of this deep place of depression? The scripture says he encouraged himself. Now let me be very clear. This wasn't David's friend that encouraged him. This wasn't David's wife that encouraged him. This wasn't David's brother that encouraged him. David encouraged David. He had encouraged his own self. Now I am thankful that we have a corporate body like this, the church, because we often encourage one another. But let me tell you something. There needs to be a reservoir of joy down inside of your soul where if nobody else encourages you, you know how to encourage your own self. It's important. Now, how did David encourage himself? I don't know. Give me a little bit of latitude here for imagination, but think about it with me. David is a worshiper. David is a songwriter. David is a musician. If I know David, David probably found an old harp somewhere and went out in the middle of a field and sit down on the grass and leaned back up against an old tree and started pulling on the strings of that old harp and singing some old songs he wrote years and years ago. Maybe he sang the 23rd Psalm. I don't know. Maybe he sang, he looked over and saw the sun up in the 
the sky and said, oh, that reminds me of a song I wrote a long time ago. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. I don't know what he's saying. Maybe he's saying, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He worships God. He encourages himself. Now, notice what happens. After this, he returns to us 400 soldiers. He encourages them. They decide to chase down the Amalekites, and the Bible says they recovered all. They brought back every wife, every son, every daughter. They recovered all. They built their houses back. They recovered all. And that great recovery came about because David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Here's what that tells me. If you don't encourage yourself, you're not going to get all the stuff back that the enemy has stolen from you. Did you hear what I said? If you're not going to encourage yourself and you're going to remain depressed, you're not going to get back what the enemy has stolen from you. But I plan on, like you do, taking back what the enemy has stolen from me. And one way we do that is through worshiping the Lord by encouraging ourselves in the Lord. We have an option. We can pout or we can praise. We can moan. We can magnify. We can bellyache or we can break through. <laughs> the choice is all ours. Thank God for a support system like the church, but there needs to be a reservoir down inside of your own soul where you say, I know how to encourage my own self. Here's the point. If the devil can shut you up, he can shut you down. If he can stop your praises, he can stop your progress. How many of you have heard of the preacher named R.W. Shambach. He was a radio preacher years ago and a television preacher, and he was one of these evangelists that would preach in these large meetings and preach all over the world from Tyler, Texas. R.W. Shambach, a man of faith. I heard him live on one occasion when he came to Richmond many years ago, but uh, he had this favorite saying that he would use all the time. He would say, you don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. He said it every time he preached every, on all of his radio, broadcast, television programs. You don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. Well, a few days ago, I was watching a YouTube, and he tells the story of where he first heard that phrase. I thought it was original to him. He says, no, a man in Buffalo, New York, told him about that. I said, I never heard this story before. So he starts telling this story of after he preached one night in Buffalo, New York, a man invites him over to the house, and he said they sat up into the wee hours of the night, like Christians do sometimes, eating cake and ice cream, and telling stories about what God can do. And this man says, you can't look at me now and tell, but just a few months ago I was on death's door. He said I had spinal meningitis and rheumatoid arthritis and was in a coma for three months. He said, while I was in the hospital in a coma, they knew I was going to die, and they sent a priest in for last rites. Listen now carefully. He said, but when the first priest walked out after giving me the last rites, he said another priest walked in through the walls. He was talking about Jesus. He said, Jesus came over to the bed where I was lying and leaned over me and said these words, you don't have any trouble. All you need is faith in God. And the man says, if I don't have trouble, what's trouble? <laughs> he had spinal meningitis and rheumatoid arthritis and was in a coma and about to die. And Jesus said, when I walk back through that wall, you're going to wake up and you're going to get up and you're going to 
go to the men's room, the bathroom. You're going to shave. You're going to put your clothes on. You're going to leave this hospital. He said, you're going to go to a Christian bookstore and buy a Bible, and you're going to read the New Testament, and you're going to find eternal life. And Jesus turned and walked right through the wall. The man woke up, pulled the IV out of his arm, went into the restroom, and started shaving. The nurse walked in, and she said, sir, you don't understand your condition. You're about to die. She said, the priest already gave you your last rites. I came in here to pull the sheet over your head. He says, ma'am, I don't have any trouble. All I need is faith in God. <laughs> I want to tell you something, friends. You need to learn how to encourage yourself in the Lord your God. Here's what Isaiah said. Put on the garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. You've had some heaviness come down upon you recently, wanted to make you be a person that complains all the time. Here's how we combat that. We look around and find something to thank God for. We raise our hands and give God praise because he's still on the throne and we're still saved and we're still on our way to heaven and God is still a good God. Let's show God how much we love him tonight. Praise his righteous name. Oh, God in heaven, we bless you. Encourage yourself in the Lord your God. So we're learning something tonight. Praise not only glorifies God, it influences other people. It encourages us. And then third and final, and this is very interesting, worship activates heaven. Point number three, worship activates heaven. This is very interesting. Again, in the Old Testament, now this time in the days of Jehoshaphat, the king, 2 Chronicles 20, 22, notice when they began to sing and to pray, something happened. What happened? The Lord did something. He set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. This is probably one of my favorite stories in all of the Old Testament. I love this story. It begins with a watchman up in the tower looking out over the land surrounding Jerusalem. What he sees scares the daylights out of him. There are three armies coming from three different directions, from Ammon, from Moab, and Mount Seir. They were coming from the south and from the east and from the north. They were nearly surrounded by three massive armies. He runs to the king Jehoshaphat and tells him what the problem is. Jehoshaphat calls together a prayer meeting, and while they're in their prayer meeting, he just says these words to God, We have no might against this great company that has come against us, and we don't know what to do. The next phrase is a statement of faith, but our eyes are on you. He says, we're not going to hire mercenaries out of Egypt. We're not going to hire soldiers out of Syria. We're just going to look to the Lord to help us out of this. Well, a man standing in the crowd named Jehaziel was moved upon by the Spirit and spoke a prophecy. And the word that came from the Lord was, the battle is the Lord's. Somebody say it with me. The battle is the Lord's. So here's what they decided to do. Line up the army inside the gates of Jerusalem. Then they're going to open the gates and start marching towards the battlefield. So they start lining up like they always do. The swordsmen and the spearmen and the cavalry on their horses. And, and Jehoshaphat says, we're going to line up differently this time. And he put the Levite choir up at the front. They didn't have a sword strapped to them, their waist. They didn't have any weapons. He put the choir out front. <laughs> he put the praisers out front and said, when we open this door, you start praising God. 
Now, when they opened the gates, they still had a little ways to walk up this hill and down in the valley and up the next hill, and there was going to be the enemy. But on their way, marching to the battlefield, they're singing a song. And the Bible tells us what song they sang. Here are the lyrics. Praise the Lord, for His mercy endures forever. I don't know a lot of the Hebrew language, but I have learned that phrase in the Hebrew language. Here's what they were actually saying. Hallelujah! That's what they were saying. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. And what happened? As soon as they started singing and praising, the Lord did something. God confused the enemy. The Amalekites, or the Ammonites rather, started killing the Moabites who started killing the folk from Mount Seir who started killing the folk from Ammon and they all got confused and killed each other and by the time God's people got out to the battlefield, all the enemy was dead. You know what that tells me? God can turn your battlefield into a blessing. How does that happen? When you decide to worship him, when you decide to praise him, it activates a heaven to work on your behalf. Glory to God. That's good preaching, Brother West. Here, take an offering. Put it right there in that pocket right there. <laughs> praise God. He's worthy of the praises. And when they begin to worship and to praise, God activates his hand and brings victory. And the scripture says that it took them three days to pick up all the spoils of battle. Gold, silver, changes of garment, weapons. It's just all stuff. They couldn't get it all in one day. They had to go back and get some more the next day and go back and get some more the next day. It was such an amazing story. They said, let's memorialize this valley. And they just changed the name of the whole valley and called it Barakah, which means in their language, blessing. God turned their battlefield into a land of blessing. He still does the same thing today. I don't want to go into the great detail. I did share part of this testimony earlier with the pastor when we were having lunch together. About a year ago in March, I was in Dublin in a revival meeting. The first time I heard about COVID and coronavirus. And we wondered whether we should continue the meeting through Wednesday or close the meeting down. That's when we started wearing masks. That's when we started practicing social distancing. It was all a new thing. Well, I had a meeting scheduled the following Sunday. And the pastor called and says, because of the pandemic, we're going to cancel. Well, I certainly understand that. But a few days later, the next pastor on the calendar called and says, we need to cancel because of the pandemic. I understand. I understood all that. It wasn't their fault. But I had 11 consecutive cancellations, which put me out of work for about 11 or 12 weeks. And I didn't have a backup plan. One or two cancellations can turn my whole budget upside down. What am I going to do with 11 cancellations? Well, I got a little nervous. I called my mortgage company and asked them, to work with me, and they told me I could skip the next two payments of my mortgage without penalty. That's going to help me quite a bit when they decided to do that. But I still had two car payments, my car, my wife's car, so I called the loaning institution, and they did the same. They said, we'll let you skip the next two. I said, okay, and that's going to ease my budget a little bit. Now, my wife was still working, thank God, but I was concerned. And before I woke up the next morning, my phone was buzzing with notifications. 
And I took a look at my phone, and somebody had sent me $100 on PayPal, and somebody had sent me $50 on Cash App before I even got out of the bed. When I went to the mailbox later that day, there were two or three cards and some letters, and some money came in the mail that day. I thought, well, okay, this will cover the first cancellation that I had. We'll see where it goes from here. And the next day, the same thing started happening. I would wake up to notifications on my phone of monies that people sent me and go to the mailbox. And after this happened about three or four days in a row, the Lord said to me, you're going to want to write this down because you're never going to forget this time. I got a journal and started writing it all down. I am not kidding you. Day after day after day for 11 weeks. I would come from the mailbox back to the house with three or four, five or six, one day, 12 and even 13 letters. I would open these letters. Some of them came from the people right in this room. And I would lay all these checks out on my counter in the kitchen with tears rolling down my face. And I would snap a picture and send it to my wife at work and say, this is what God did today. I called my mortgage company back and said, I'm not skipping anything. I called the loaning institution back and said, I don't have to skip any payments. I've got enough money to pay all of my payments. And I want to tell you, when, the, when it was all over, we did the math, and God blessed me with more income when I wasn't working than I would have had I been working. What am I talking about? I'm talking about a God that can turn your battlefield into a blessing. Somebody shout hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thanks be unto God. A university did a study and found out that most people, most families, have some kind of conflict going on about 90% of the time. So if you're waiting to praise and worship God when everything's okay, you're going to limit your worship to about 10% of your life. Because about 90% of the time, you're going to have some kind of conflict. But we're going to worship and praise God in the good times or the bad times. Right? I'll close with this. During the Persian Gulf crisis back in the 90s, Saddam Hussein basically captured Kuwait. And America and her allies were going to liberate Kuwait. We had a general at that time named Norman Schwarzkopf. They called him Stormin Norman. He put together a fascinating plan, and it was a swift victory. Afterwards, one of the chaplains that was on the ground on the night of the invasion was invited as a guest on the Christian network and told his story. John Hagee down in San Antonio, Texas. He said, the night we were with the land groups and says we were supposed to go straight in, face-to-face, -face, a frontal attack. 